The views of the guests and hosts of the BIPOC Academic Coalition are solely their own, unless otherwise specified, and in no way represent the institutions they may be associated with or work for. Kwabo, Menchile, Midesuno ena chite, lo Midesuno u, wona fwamailo benakpabi. Welcome to the BIPOC Academic Coalition podcast. Christine, we're going to start with you. This is going to be very confusing because you're actually in my daughter's room right now. Um, if this ever gets to video, it'll be maybe a little bit clear that it's not your house that you're in. You've got for those yeah. people, yeah. For those people that uh, that are listening to the podcast, you've got headphones on with uh, that that are pink with uh, with cat ears. Yes. Yeah. And and, and my uh, name is not Yasmina Stone. Yeah, you're not you're not my daughter, no. right? Um, the, the, the room the room seems a little bit youthful, but I think you probably would like those headphones that have that light up and have kitty cat ears, though, right? I love them. I mean, who wouldn't? If I could get ones yeah. that look like wolves, I would get that too. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Big bad wolf. I would have mine look like that. How are you doing, Christine? Why are you in I'm... my house? Because it's it's the Christmas holidays and I'm here for a visit. Right. It's Yalda. Exactly. It's the Yalda, Yalda. holidays. Ada Shema. Yalda Mubarak. Right. It's the uh, it's the it's the winter solstice. And this is when Iranians, uh, no matter what their faith or background is, we celebrate the increasing light that starts beating out uh, the the nighttime and the darkness. So that's where this whole idea of lights and all that come from. Yeah, it comes from the cradle of civilization, Iran. Iran. Oh. Right, Abdullah? Iran, the cradle of civilization? <laughs> Abdullah? Not can... sure. You're not I'm sure? Not, not sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me just go back to Christine uh, for a second. This Christine. is a wise one, by the way. Do this you, this is do a you think do you think from our areas <laughs> there can ever be any civilization ever? No, civilization <laughs> comes only from white people place. No, well, I mean, not... before before we get taken off on another sidetrack, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, we all know that a lot of those old race theories thought that everywhere, whether it was the Persian Empire, whether it was the Egyptian Empire, no matter what it was, um, everyone always thought, oh, there were white people that first did it, then they moved along, then they got mixed up, and that's why they look the way they do. I mean, what was, oh, the, nice. what was the name, M.A., of the famous... Uh, archaeological dig they found in southern Africa and it was a beautiful city that they dug that was ancient and I think it was the white Rhodesians that used it as an opportunity to say that uh, it was evidence that a white civilization had inhabited Ugh. southern oh, Africa 
I can't remember exactly what that was, but those theories uh, have always been around. If, yeah, yeah. It, 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 even even what uh, uh, I think five six years ago, uh, another archaeological discovery mm. has been found uh, in France somewhere, mm -hmm. which takes. Uh, uh, the precedence of, of humanity. Oh no! It's, yeah, yeah, no. It's the Greek. Is it the Greek one where they found the footprints? Is it the footprint one, or is it the? N no, it is in a cavern somewhere in France. I don't even remember. Okay. And uh, so, no, the origin of humanity can't be French in uh, Mesopotamia, <laughs> in uh, Africa. No, it has to be somewhere western <laughs> europe so and <laughs> oh we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna take get taken off side track again this one so quickly christine how are you doing though you're you're it you're down south and how are you feeling i'm feeling great feeling good so you're for the holiday breaks you're here with us right Yes, yeah. I'm in vacation mode. Yeah, and then you'll be with your daughter in Montreal too. <laughs> yes, that's yes. good. Okay, yeah. Farah Roxanne, you're also at home. Isn't this amazing? I know. Wow. Yeah, so many people <laughs> at home now, and you're back in your old bedroom in the dungeon in the basement. I know. Right? Yeah. Right. Being used as like a little storage space too. It's right. It's where people are hiding things. Is, uh, leaving is, all their yeah. stuff. Yeah, leaving their stuff in your room. Yeah. Well, I mean, I told you I wasn't going to turn it into an office. <laughs> oh, no oh. yeah you were very specific about what you weren't going to turn it into yeah it's not an office it's just a storage space <laughs> yeah. now. Okay. welcome I home to go through people's stuff welcome. you don't you touch you don't touch her room you no i know never touch... never oh no no i would never their rooms are their rooms I, they'll never ever be touched absolutely abdullah how are you good yeah are you cold were you outside in the rain and the snow yeah like picketing for the teacher's rights Right, you don't, mm -hmm. you, you're not allowed to have an opinion on that on this podcast, okay? No, no opinions. Okay, you're not <laughs> allowed. To, no. Always, I'm you, always oppressed by yeah, you. You're, he was holding a really neutral sign. You, 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 do, you do not have academic freedom as a teacher, okay? Mm -mm. In elementary or secondary school, because uh, if Ma and I don't have academic freedom as professors at a university, there's no way in hell you get academic freedom as a teacher <laughs> no in way. high school. No, not a chance. It's not going to happen. No, and, and even here, um, I don't have the academic freedom because you are not you are not condemning Iran <laughs> to what Iran did Syria. I, I have tried so hard in the last podcast to cover that up, to make all the proper, like, you know, beats so nobody can hear that conversation. And bang, you start off again right away. I told you, <laughs> you I guys... will condemn, I will condemn Baba Ganoush the day that I you condemn Hamas. <laughs> you guys, you guys have to be aware of one thing. Mm. Talking about academic freedom, academic freedom is only for human being. That's true. So See, you See, have Abdullah? to be aware of that. Yeah. As long as you will not, we will not be human being. It will be illusion to think that we are also entitled to academic freedom. So, so don't talk about I'm academic. not a human, Abdullah. You can't expect anything out of me. No, yeah. no. You, <laughs> I, I do. You'll, uh, I'm sure that okay. there'll be, I just you'll, you'll, you'll that... wear me down at some point. Yes, sir, what? I discovered that my daughter, Rasiel, just wrote to me. Yeah, what did she write I don't write know down? if you can see it. It okay. says, no, it's 
going in and out. Uh, You'll I have love to read blurred. it. It's blurred. I love you, Dad. I love oh. you. <laughs> because uh, did you get her to condemn you on too? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she did. <laughs> All right. She did. So let's get to this episode that we weren't able to get to last time. And I'm obviously yes. going to have to do more editing so that, you know, <laughs> Abdullah can return to Syria without a problem and I can return to Iran without a problem. So there's a lot of editing that's going to have to come on. You, go on, you will so. not be able to do it today. No, no. <laughs> I'm prepared. <laughs> we're, not, we're not talking about this anyway. So what we are talking about today in this episode is we are going to talk about the very famous Franz Fanon, a person who has been a constant source and a reference in Canadian academia as higher education people make every attempt to show that they have shed any kind of colonialism and that they're decolonizing their space. Now, as we say this, I had to ask a friend of mine if I had lost my mind because I had driven past the old university that I taught at and it was around two years ago and I said, is that a Ukrainian flag flying on the campus? And next to the Canadian flag and the Quebec flag was the Ukrainian flag flying. And I thought, I must, I must be losing my mind. Because, wow, that is a real political statement. So I asked a colleague and I said, am I imagining things? Or was the Ukrainian flag flying over Bishop's University? And this person responded back to me and he said, yes, indeed, the, the Ukrainian flag was flying. And I said, what are the chances that the Palestinian flag is now flying <laughs> over the <laughs> university, considering these are both two groups that have been attacked? And he basically, you know, in text laughed at me and said, what do you think? Mm -hmm. So here we have these ideas of radicalism that goes on in these universities, consistent message that clearly is only consistent in saying there are some people we think are humans, other people that we don't think are humans. But to quote a black man who, you know, came up with a theory in Algeria, well, that will make me look like I'm a radical at university. So we've all seen these quotes on an email signature or placed within a course outline. It, you know, if you put down somebody like Franz Fanon or Bell Hooks or, you know, Anyone that's considered to be a radical, it portrays the professor in a radical light. And it shows to students that they are willing to take such great chances on social justice. However, Fanon was not only an intellectual giant, but he was a person of action. As we will learn, Fanon came up with his theories directly during a time of post-colonial, or sorry, decolonizing war in Algeria. So he was actually on the ground coming up with his theories on decolonization. So as we witness university students protesting over the war of Gaza, we also witness the absolute silence or anti-Palestinian posture that is coming from all of higher education in the West. I asked if there was a flag of Palestine flying. The response was absolutely not. And you must be kidding and you must be joking. In fact, we know at that university, and Bishop's University is not alone in this, uh, Bishop's alumni, there are three of them here, please correct me, the Muslim Association tried to get the student union to uh, call for a ceasefire vote, just a call for the student union to say they believed in a ceasefire vote. The student union said no. 
Then they tried later on, correct me if I'm wrong. Then they just said, can you actually take a vote indicating that you feel sympathy for the victims, the innocent victims who have been killed in Gaza? And they said they wouldn't do that either. So that's the space that we are living in. So, you know, we've already witnessed that the BLM movement being completely forgotten in universities now. Mm -hmm. MA got in trouble during the BLM movement. I got in trouble because the BLM movement, because black people convinced me that I was allowed to talk to. And boy, <laughs> I was lied to. I was lied to. <laughs> Why did they say that to you? Yeah, they set me up. <laughs> they just set me up. <laughs> so what sense can we make for a person who clearly combined theory with action and yet universities use it to give them a sense of being radical. But really, when it comes right down to it, they're not. There's still spaces of white supremacy and colonialism. Yep. So we're going to try and make sense of that. Farah Roxanne, you've got a video to start us off. And it's a video with Abdullah's, one of Abdullah's favorite authors. It's Edward Said talking about Fanon. And you can find this documentary actually on BBC. So who else, you know, better to uh, introduce Fanon than Said? There has not yet been a single Frenchman indicted before a French court of justice for the murder of an Algerian. In Indochina, in Madagascar, or in the other colonies, the native has always known that he need expect nothing from the other side. The settler's work is to make even dreams of liberty impossible for the native. The native's work is to imagine all possible methods for destroying the settler. Those are words written by Franz Fanon, who was born in the French colonial possession of Martinique in 1925. He was educated as a doctor, he became a psychiatrist, and in the 1950s, he went to Algeria and joined the FLN, which is the main resistance group fighting the French. And he died in 1961 of leukemia. Fanon became the most eloquent and famous spokesman for the Algerian Revolution, but he also spoke for natives everywhere. He spoke for the natives of Africa, of the Caribbean, and of all of Asia in their struggle against the white imperialists. When Fanon was working as a psychiatrist in a French hospital, he started treating victims of French torture. He also started treating the torturers. And there is that appendix in Wretched of the Earth, which sort of half, half tells that story. Hearing the stories, examining the psyche of the torturer and the tortured transformed him as an individual. I have no idea, and I asked Fanon twice, did you do any good to your patients? He said, je ne sais pas. I have no idea. I don't know. I said, then what happened? He said, ça me transformé. It transformed me. Because what he discovered in that relationship were three or four things. One was how injurious 
relationship of domination is both to the dominator and to, be, to the dominated, to the victim and the victimizer. The second thing he understood and powerfully was that race, he hadn't come to the full realization of sex about it, although he shows signs of seeing it in Lanesakim de la Revolution Algerienne, but he understood that race plays a very important role in separating people artificially. And thirdly, he realized, he learned this from the Algerian victims, that when the victim stands on his feet and fights back, he is not a victim anymore. Okay, Nasser, let's was stop there. Thing. We'll stop there. I mean, we could listen for much longer, but we'll stop there. We're going to take this in connection to higher education in USA and Canada. And Fanon's very, I would say it's, it's, it's a direct call for how decolonization takes place. But a lot of people, I think, have to rationalize it in a more nuanced way, even though the three things that we heard uh, that were the realizations that Fanon came to were, were quite specific. <laughs> Not, you know... Um, there weren't very many shades of gray. So let's let's talk about first idea that we're going to discuss here, which is that violence is the natural state of colonized rule. So we're keeping that in the context of higher education. And I think we'll start with somebody who has been hit quite violently, although no one in the university would admit that it is a violent attack, uh, M.A., is this true that violence is the natural state of colonized rule? You know, <laughs> the word violence uh, resonates uh, uh, jointly with the, the word uh, savage uh, in me every time we use, uh, we have to use this word because I'm wondering who between the person who purposely decided that his vis-a-vis, because of his origin, his religion, has no right to existence at all. And we will come later to the existentialism of Fadon later, I guess, mm -hmm. to existence at all. And Uh, when he seems to be too smart to resist to the attack, attacks, constant attacks, pushing him or her to suicidal ideation, when he resists, then he is harassing white people. When we talk about violence, as the only way of being of someone who tries to survive, then honestly, I'm not, I don't put the same meaning in violence as people want us to see. And I want to draw one attention 
on something very, very important about Fanon. Actually, Fanon is one of, was one of those leading voice of the decolonization and uh, resistance to colonization. Fanon was one of those who overtly advocates for not letting anyone making you a victim unless you accept that. And you have every right to resist with the means you have in hand. Fano actually has always positioned himself first as the psychiatrist he is, because Fano cared more about what the violence coming from the supremacists, from the racists, has as impact on the brain, of the mind of the persecuted, because Fano doesn't like the word victims and victimizer because Mm -hmm. He wants to free himself. He wants us to free ourselves from victim. And he, he said it. As the minute you start resisting by all means, then you stop being victims. You stop being victimized. And you reverse the tendency. It is your persecutor who become the victims. That's why they see in you violence. But vi it's it's not really violence to resist and try to survive attacks that aim at making you disappear. So it is actually a therapy, as said Fanon, right? It is therapeutic. He, 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 he used uh, the words, oh, I, I, I don't... Uh, uh, remember how you say it in uh, uh, in English, but it is a therapy, a necessity for therapy to resist and to go through revolution, active revolution, to free yourself. Oh, uh, Dis-le en français. Say it in French. Do you remember? Tu souviens en français? Ouais. Because I got enough in the English, so I'm not putting you as a test. <laughs> no, no, no. I to stay in. The, the point is, I don't know if we will have time to get to that, but in a meeting uh, he had uh, back in CC1 with uh, uh, Simone de Beauvoir and mm. uh, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, mm. That's another, where, Sartre is another story altogether. <laughs> yes, where, where uh, Jean-Paul Sartre was uh, using this word constantly, used three times in the meeting, which lasted five hours, six hours. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the word of violence. At one point, Fano was mad at Sartre. Why would you constantly be talking about violence method without talking about violent trigger of my resistance. You understand what I mean? So, <laughs> well, yeah. It, yeah, 
And, and Simone de Beauvoir jumped in. Simone de Beauvoir, who also is known as a revolutionary, yes. and uh, mm -hmm. and uh, said, "I I am the def the the verb defier. I am defying anyone who would say that my struggle for me being a woman against the violent." Uh, uh, sexist is a violence in itself. I don't consider my resistance as a violence, and I will never consider myself as violent. And, and I That's, think I think I think in the Western world that idea is becoming has become more accepted. That idea that that like if there is any kind of like overt violence, that a woman has a right to fight back, and no one defines it as violence anymore. Yes, know? and I mean not. Completely, obviously, but Absolute, I think I think yeah. I think it's more accepted that idea. And I hope so, and uh, I really hope so that any resistance to attack on your dignity, no matter who you are, no matter your gender, no matter your your <laughs> origin, no matter your religion that that is not at all a violence i think that we'll we'll we'll, we'll jump to christine now so christine i know was so well prepared uh last session and we talked about something else and she was incredibly disappointed and christine what did you do with all of your notes i left them at home yeah so she doesn't have her notes now so now she doesn't have her notes to go back I'm to useless and she doesn't know even know what kind of question i'm going to ask her right no, now has, but I, I no remember... she wouldn't be in a situation if we did that uh -huh. we were supposed to <laughs> i i remember myself in court and the opposing lawyer really scoffing at the idea where i said to him no i've experienced physical racist violence like to the point of attempted murder i've experienced mm -hmm. that and what happens yes, and what happens at the university level was to me a more violent attack it wasn't physical but it was still a violent attack yeah. and i had no way of of defending myself at least with somebody mm -hmm. who was physically fighting me i had a way i could defend myself yes, right yeah so the question is for is for christine is that if we look at a statement like violence is the natural state of colonized rule, and if Christine and I and everyone here on this podcast agree that higher education in Canada is a colonized space, Dean, do you mm -hmm. agree with that? Yes. Okay, then is their natural state of being violent towards BIPOC people? I believe they are. Can you expand because, on that? Because you know there's no one that's going to agree with you. They'll agree with you if you're right. having a look at a, a professor will agree with you if you're having a coffee with them, but they're never going to agree to that if they're sitting at Senate. So can you right. expand on that a little bit? In the way that intellectually, now we're talking, you know, intellectually because we're talking about academia mm -hmm. and that BIPOC people can have um, a seat at the table only and insofar as they agree with you know, the majority of white 
white ideology I'm talking about here, right? In academia, as soon as we, you know, diverge from the, hmm, from the directed path, let's say, well, then we're the ones who are accused of being violent with our words, with our tone of voice, with even the language that we use. And very often we're just dismissed. So that's that's how I see it in academia, where whatever we we write in in academia about resisting uh, the colonized um, acceptance of in academia, we're we're seeing as we're seen as violent in our words and deeds. And if we if we go back to what uh, what Ame was talking about in terms of that right to resist what kind of rights do we really have to resist in higher education? Like if, Not, if, if, if people are really saying, oh, you have the right to resist, right. Um, what is it that we can possibly do that won't be seen immediately as inappropriate and deserved of a response that is, I would say, a sanctioned response of aggression? So I'll, I'll ask I'll ask Abdullah that question. I keep on going to Abdullah the most on this question, which is, you know, that that sense somebody has. It's not just a feeling, but there's also like um, there, there there's a quantitative aspect of what you are and what you are not allowed to say. There is a <laughs> quantitative aspect: what you're receiving, what you're allowed to put back what kind of response you get if you put something back. So, uh, and for, and why I keep on going back to, to Abdullah is because he's, you know, he's like Christine, he's right in the middle of, of doing his PhD. And again, at a department I really love. Okay, so it has nothing to do with whether you love somebody or, or, or don't like it or anything. There is, I would argue, a need to to be able to examine whether or not those spaces are truly colonized or decolonized like you know where are they in the western world so abdullah what is your sense of the universities the two english universities you've gone to in quebec are they are they colonized spaces are are they spaces that you would you know define now after spending a significant amount of time getting a master's and then halfway through your phd um how do you view these spaces they are colonized because you cannot say whatever you want. You cannot express your opinion. You cannot, even like if you want to publish anything, you are not allowed to put your point of view, even if you are approaching it from autobiographical uh, approach. Yeah. You will, they will, you will, you will be told that you are bringing too much subjective concepts to your paper. Because what you are saying does not confirm with the white concept of academia. Yes. That, that is the rule there. So what we know is the, the white. And what you know, we have to discuss So you are not bringing the truth, even if you are 
talking about your experience. So you are misjudging or misunderstanding us. But if you are bringing something or you are talking about something that they have been doing to others, no, this is the, the rule. We are sorry. We can't do anything. We will work on it. We will work to change it. But now mm -hmm. these are the rules. And what are the rules? The rules that uh, prioritize their and work for their favors and not for the BIPOC students or or uh, staff favors. So you, you've you've witnessed um, violence in Syria. You've you've witnessed things that death and explosions. Um, and I think everyone will agree that that is violence. Feel that you can also use the term violence when it comes to higher education. Uh, it's a little, it, it's different. Yeah, of course, yeah. It's totally different. Mm -hmm. The violence in higher education is mainly by executing you. You are not here. You does not belong to this place. Yeah. You have to go out. Yes, sir. You are, you are you are dismissed. But the violence in Syria like came after like it, and all of us I guess we agree that the the regime in Syria is a dictator regime and the president in Syria is a dictator president. Mm -hmm. And what happened in Syria was because of of the the oppressing regime there and when they try to and, and the revolution in syria the first six months it was really peaceful there was there there were no weapons there until the regime itself tried to introduce violence and throw the throw like his people to make it and convert it from being a revolution to a civil war. Yeah. And the Western, and this and the is Western the world, way... yeah, the Western world looked at that and they said that that is justified. Uh, even Iran. Yeah, but they said that's... But, Iran but... supported him. No, 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 not him. We're not going to talk about him. We're, you're not getting to an yeah. apology from me yet. We're, <laughs> we're, 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 we're still working with the idea that when the Western world looked at opposition to um to uh oh my god i forgot his name uh to assad okay yeah they they were like they said that's justified violence you can do that but then you see there is a shift of what is justified violence and what is not justified violence we, but the we... problem there the problem is here was the he was not targeting the the uh opposition like fighters was targeting civilians yeah i'm not i'm i'm not referring to that i'm referring to the fact that you will get a shift in how the western world will validate any kind of um violent act as being violent or unviolent justified or unjustified so you'll see that they will justify for instance uh any kind of revolt against assad but on the other hand, they'll also justify what they call the revenge violence that Israelis are allowed to do against Palestinians. Palestinians are not allowed to fight back. So you see that there's this shifting idea that constantly happens. So 
we'll, we'll get we'll get back to to this idea of violence and to what uh to what ma said i loved what you said though uh, abdullah about about the 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 constant accusation of subjectivity um didn't like so much what you had said betty Ron. but i like the stuff that you said about subjectivity <laughs> and really how it connects to to what um to what Ame was saying about Satra. Now, Ame, when you read Satra's introduction, do you like his introduction that he wrote for Wretched of the Earth? <laughs> I will say, before, actually, before answering your, your question, I'd like to give, to oppose what has been portrayed as me being violent to white people, elite, you know, in one thirty seconds. Are, are, are you sure? Because I'm going to get to it. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> okay, I'm going to uh, get okay. to it. I'm going to, I'm going to get to it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because then, one, of, one, of, one of the things about Satra's introduction is I never liked it. Now I don't know if it's because I read it in English and I didn't like it. I found that it was, it was oriented. It it was oriented. Uh, it was it was like it, like in English. It came across as like really like eroticizing the other. You know, really kind of putting this like constant emotional state to 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 the other, even though that's not what he thought he was doing. And very mm -hmm. much, you know, that emotional kind of you know almost like instinctive animal response that he would write to that Abdul is even pointing out about the idea of like. You're going to always be subjective. You have no ability to critically think about yourself. You know, everything yeah. is always going to be a subjective point of view. And that even comes to, like, you know, what I would see is Satka's excitement over, you know, settler, uh, over uh, people who have been uh, colonized, their violence. Even, yeah. their, even their violence, when I read his work, is kind of, like, sexualized in some kind of way. Like me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I've been walking uh, with my penis in my head. That is it. He I said it again, it. everybody. He said it again. Oh my god! again. Okay, so you, you uh. in your, you in your natural state, you in your natural state in an academic setting. I've experienced it. You've experienced. I don't know how Abdullah feels. I don't know how uh, how Christine feels. Um, I know that I have been perceived constantly in my natural state as being violent. Mm -hmm. Like that is my natural state for, for the people at the university. Even though I have no power at the university, they still say I have power. I mean, go on, continue. <laughs> in, my, in my case, it's quite a little bit different because until the moment I requested, and uh, the president of the university tried uh, to convince me not to go that route. I insisted in having uh, an investigation into the macro ag racist aggressions I was going through. I'm not talking about the micro ones mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. uh, the micro ones. No, we can ignore those. That. But when it got uh, to a point where it became my life in resisting or in at least requesting this investigation or not, then I became violent. I became savage with 
no manner at all with yeah, so incompetent, etc. But I want to give you some some clear example. Here we are. A new <laughs> uh, vice principal academic has been appointed at Glendon and the minute he got appointed, within four months, I have to go to distress leave twice in four months because of he, what he was doing to, to me. That's how I ended up begging the university to launch an investigation. But you know, Ame, that they will look at your distress leave as a form of violence against them. Ah, th that's where I'm coming, yeah. you know? <laughs> and uh, reluctantly, the university accepted to launch the investigation. The second distress leave I had to go to last 45, 45 days. Here I am after the 45 days, kind of excited at least to go back to my job. The day I was supposed to go back to my job, after 45 days, that is the second one, second time from the mm -hmm. same person actions, I had to go to distress leave. I got called by the vice president of the university. The same day I had to go back, eh? Oh, Professor Avolonto, it came to my attention that two staff person complained about you of being harassed by you. And my union representative and myself, we said, who are they? Are you away from the university, from the faculty for the past 45 days? <laughs> this is so, okay, yeah, all right, yes. Who are they? <laughs> so shockingly similar. You know what her answer is? Oh, I can't tell you who they are. And can I have at least their complaint about me? Oh, I haven't received the complaint yet. But as soon as I will receive it, them, make, be sure I will send them to you. But in the meantime, <laughs> I, I will have to remove you as, as the chair of the department. <laughs> this, is, this, is, I, this is also shocking. A little different, shockingly similar. Um, let let me just let me jump to Christine. No, to, to okay, show sorry, you. Go ahead, go ahead. And 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 at the end, do you know that I am the violent who needed to be taken out of the working place because I am harassing my white colleagues. Oh, I, listen, I may I I totally understand. Unfortunately, we need. We need more of these subjective voices. I entirely agree with you. Like what Abdullah said, the problem is that our own our own experiences are always seen as tainted and subjective. 
But when okay. you get a when you get a white person who gives their experience, it's yeah. not tainted and subjective. It's taken as being a witness report that has yeah. to be absolutely true. It doesn't matter if there's there's there. It just it can be the imagination. So yeah, in, in okay. my yeah, in my case, I may it was it was I I'm the I feel when I go to that any to that university in particular. I feel that it's a violent space. I <laughs> know that anybody can yell at me. Anybody can throw a temper tantrum at me. Yeah. Sometimes I think I I I I'm, I convince myself that I could probably be like punched or kicked, mm -hmm. and no one would say anything, right? And no. that's that's the because of the 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 like yelling and that kind of violence I get. You end up feeling paranoid that something else can can happen to you, and I don't yeah. even know. I don't even know if it's paranoia. But similar to to your case, Ma, um, I was on sick leave. Then I was on um, I was on sick leave. Then I took I can't remember which was first. Um, then then I had sabbatical. Then COVID happened. Uh, this is all when my case was going on when I first you know flagged that there was a problem. And some of the faculty members, the white faculty members, wrote that I am never around. Okay, but. The idea of me being around is intimidating to them. Yeah. So, so they said that I'm never around, See. making it sound like, oh, he's not professional. He's never around, even though COVID was going on. Uh, but they say the idea of me is frightening to mm -hmm. them. And they even had the audacity to say they were afraid in their own homes. Yes. Now, now how? I mean, how is that not a racist statement where... There's nothing in my history that's that I've never been arrested for anything. I've never mm -hmm. been like I've I've never like nothing in my life would ever suggest besides this guy worked at a daycare mm -hmm. and changed yeah. other kids' poopy diapers. <laughs> would there yeah. ever be a suggestion of anything? But they have the right to say, and the principal accepted it. Oh, who, yeah. who is now the board of governors of the CBC? He accepted that white people can just say, I have the imagination of being afraid of him. And, and okay. in my own home. And he's like, that's good enough for me. You imagining yeah, exactly. that. So, Abdullah, I want to know from you. I want to know from Christine. Um, do you feel um, that the university space is a safe space? No, I don't. I've never been able, able to truly express my views or, you know, be subjective because I know I'll just be silenced. I'll just be dismissed and I'll look like a fool in their eyes. So it's the same. And it's because everything you're saying is not true. It has yeah. to be checked. It has mm -hmm. to be reevaluated. While if anyone in the class like says anything, yo, that's the truth. Yeah. They, they know everything, they know everything, and we have, oh, okay, and you will have, after you, you say something, you have that, like, 20, 30 seconds of silence, because they are trying yeah. to evaluate what you have mm -hmm. said. Exactly. Let's yeah, go. but, uh, Sorry. you Sorry. know, you know, you know, I have no problem for anything I say or do, be checked, but at least check it with the same tool of value of checking you will use for anyone, anybody else. You understand what I mean? At least check it through the light 
of the evidence that exists. But that's not their you responsibility, know? though. Their responsibility isn't to educate themselves. Their responsibility is to challenge you constantly. Yeah. So your sentences, yeah, 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 yeah. So your sentences are like always a half sentence before somebody stops you and says, "Oh, I don't agree," or like, "Or oh, that's not a fact." And they're not. And, and if you turn around and go like, "Why are you like this?" Is not your area of expertise. Why don't you educate yourself rather than asking me to give you a footnote or citation about everything that I say? And Fano, Fano, Fano use a good analogy for this behavior of, uh, yes, uh, uh, colonialist, but uh, uh, white supremacist. He used the Manichaean analogy. He, he, he put in parallel Manichaeism and uh, colonialism where the world is divided quite literally in two. The light and good yes. on one hand, yeah. and the dark and evil on the other hand. Yeah. And that it. It is that it. Dichotomy. No, yeah. yeah. It's a dichotomy. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's it's not only like they will evaluate what you are saying and it's also for them it's your job to assimilate to the system mm -hmm. to assimilate to their yeah. their way of thinking yes and how they how they think how they consider how they approach the topics and that you have to talk the same way as we are talking otherwise yeah. you are different yeah, and that, that gets to the second point of which is which is I'm sure something that MA heard, which is the process, and that somehow we have to trust in the process, trust in the process. And that process is where a lot of the systemic part of systemic racism comes into it, which is a process that doesn't really work for us. And all the evidence yeah. shows it doesn't work, where you're still told to trust in the process. Yeah. And so I, I love what Fanon had to say about false decolonization, and it occurs when the oppressed willingly trust the process of decolonization suggested and controlled by the oppressor. And this has, was my experience at the university level, which is everybody that was in control, including the decolonization committee, were yeah. all white people that mm -hmm. had no expertise in decolonization, and they sure as hell never experienced colonialism or imperialism. They have they have oh, yeah. no they have no idea what it feels like to be in like your home country and see foreign soldiers walking around. They have no idea what it feels like to be in your in your home country and knowing that Western Europeans are under a different set of law than than you know than your own people are. They have mm -hmm. they've never experienced that at all. No. And yet they're sitting on these committees making the decisions, telling us trust in the process. In the process. And mm -hmm. this is this is like the, the same idea is that once the oppressed class start to believe in things like uh, meritocracy, they start mm. voting for people like Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> because they become convinced. But we see this with yeah. our own people. We see this with BIPOC people who are in mm -hmm. academia. Yeah. They'll, they'll wait for somebody like M.A. to make noise. Yeah. And they'll say, well, I'm just going to sit back and trust in the process. And they get rewarded <laughs> for that. Yeah. And and actually talking about the process, uh, you I'm you, <laughs> uh, Chris and myself, uh, we are in this situation actually 
because we are falling pasture to the system who establishes that you are not a human being actually at least not a fool because you are part, part of, partly you you at least because you are light a little bit you are partly human being i'm not a human being and we have to trust the process that is designed to maintain us in that in that position in that situation what fanon i like to make a constant reference to fanon because we said we will be discussing about fanon what fanon called the white cultural values the white cultural values that has nothing but the only trajectory of protecting their own interest. Yes. Just I mean, the, the problem, a problem, I like to always say, a problem can never be its own solution. A problem can never be its own solution because it comes to a matter of privilege. And you don't expect people whose privilege is going to be jeopardized in terms of breaking white supremacy to help you break white supremacy. In, in my lifetime experience of working in academia, I have only seen one white faculty member actually give something up because of racism so mm -hmm. one my entire experience only one person who who gave something up because they saw it as being unfair and said i'm stepping down off of this position i'm going to get a reduction in salary for doing this and the person was white but i have to note was gay and so honestly i truly believe that because the person was part of the lgbtq plus community that they already had experienced, well, in this case, I know the person had had experienced discrimination, so was able to transfer that 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 experience to saying, I'm not going to sit idly by and let this person be discriminated against, oh, and actually was, took a stand, I, right? But no, besides they, they that, are, besides no, that, honestly, they, yes. how, how, many, mm -hmm. how many people do you know who have taken, uh, you know, who tell you to trust in the process when they see the process has gone wrong, actually take a risk uh, with their career at the university, how many do we really know? I at least want for in, for on my on my end mm. at least at least at very least one who gave away a very good job, paid over hundred thousand a year job, resigned because he couldn't continue taking it anymore. Seeing how I have been persecuted, how there is no mechanism at all in the university to protect me. So, and fortunately for us, there are those kind of people. I, it, it, I will say maybe being a member of uh, uh, a group who have been persecuted, maybe help 
in, in the case I, of the person who sit, was in the gay community, yes, yeah. But I can sit you also at the same time a member, clear member of that group who because he has been he needed to be in high position had joined the crew of persecuting me without knowing anything about my story. I mean, that's and that's where we come to this idea of false decolonization is when the oppressed, and that's really important, willingly trust the process of decolonization suggested by the oppressor. And we see that in academia all the time. We, we yeah. don't see these movements being led by a mass group of like indigenous people who are saying, you know, you want to decolonize the space? Well, we're, we're going to decolonize the space. Everyone get ready. No one's going to lose their job. But everybody get ready. We're going to shake things up. I still well, that space would never let them do that. No. They would never want to give up that position of power. They have to be the ones in charge. They now know all about decolonization and, you know, anti-racism and all this. And by the way, if I ever got up in Senate and I said something like that, if I said, look, why don't we actually put together a group of indigenous people from a wide variety of expertise and background, you know, including community members, and everyone everyone gets to keep their job but you may not yeah. keep your position of authority why don't we let them shake this place up not a chance in hell no no not a no. chance in hell they would accept that not a chance in hell i don't know if you guys uh, heard about this story i haven't read about it uh, yet uh, about uh the uh, Canada Hymns song, it, it was a hockey game, and uh, the song, the hymn, you call it hymn in English, right? Hymne national du Canada, the, the, the oh, Canada. The national anthem, yeah. Yes, uh, it, it was sung both, no, both in English and French, then in uh, Oh, uh, I don't know if it is Punjabi or a language of one mm -hmm. of the teams, uh, the group. It's it's uh, a, a recent uh, anecdote. Eh? It happened a few okay. days ago. And uh, come here the comments of uh, about why would the people on earth in a society that is promoting or presumably promoting multiculturalism, <laughs> why would it be also seen in another language than French and English? And it is, it, it is a big, big, big deal big deal without taking in consideration the fact that it's a matter of making a step for the integration yes of these players which, these which at one point but at one point they'll be happy about that though they'll be happy about that integration it's just like white liberals will be super happy if they hear that an indigenous group has translated O Canada yeah. into their indigenous language, and then that's a way for them to say, you see, colonization wasn't that bad. They're now singing our national anthem, it's, right? So, oh, it's done. It's all over. It's done. It's we finished. They, it. they, they, <laughs> once they sung it, they're in, right? That that but but then that they probably are the same people that 50 years e earlier would have been angry at the idea 
of the national <laughs> anthem being in in another yeah. language. For for God's sake, Ame, francophones in Quebec City are angry if they hear the English national anthem during the yeah. old NHL games. People yeah. <laughs> in Calgary will get upset if they hear French being played at an NHL game. Like there's there Canada is so like it's it wasn't that long ago when the social studies program were teaching that there were two distinct races, English and French. Yeah. Yeah, and, for, sure. and, and for the rest <laughs> of us, we kind of look at them and go, well, you're white Western European. But th that there was a time they were divided. Right. So this this is this is a group that really has divided and divided and divided and and we 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 still see that going on. So I I think that you know we should have a future conversation about the second point about false decolonization where the oppressed willingly trust in the process because I think both MA and I have experienced something that we've 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 read about which is when BIPOC people actually get you know, recognition after another BIPOC person has stood up and said, there's discrimination yeah. here. And then that person's targeted, but then there will be somebody else that momentarily benefits from that blip. But we know it doesn't lead to decolonization. It doesn't lead no. to it. All right. So the third point, Abdullah, we start with you. True decolonization is always a violent event. Now, we're not we're gonna we're gonna bring it back to academia. I think mm -hmm. I think we all know I've I've asked this question of historians. Um and I've asked the question, has there ever been a decolonization effort that wasn't violent? And I'm not <laughs> talking about like, you know, the British going like, Well, we're not an empire anymore, we're gonna leave. Like I mean really like like a, a decolonize uh, decolonization effort that wasn't violent and this was i asked a historian uh and his response was maybe ghana maybe but there was always the threat of violence right mm -hmm. so he said violence has always been there i i don't personally know a case so in academia is the should we accept the fact that true decolonization will be violent is not like true decolonization can be like a peaceful process if the colonizer understand understand what the 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 concept of the of the others like going back to what Fanon said like when he heard the 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 uh, colonizer and the colonized that transported him to understand the whole situation the two sides of the story even like for me i don't think that it should it should not be it's not fair to compare to say that the colonizer and the colonized are two sides because there is always one is powerful and the other one is not uh, uh, but if like so how, can, about... so how can you how can you enter into any kind of discussion about colonization if one has power and the other one doesn't but you have to talk you have like uh, similar to what we are doing now yeah but we are trying we're... to educate people about the 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 racism and the discrimination and the imbalance in power that Five people has been 
experiencing in in the West in general. But if I if if you have a group of BIPOC people that are sitting and none of them are in are, are in administration and they're talking to a group of white administration, um, we know that one group has access to a lot of power and the other group doesn't. Right. Like administration can at any time decide, you know what, let's put like a million dollars into whatever PR campaign we want to do, whatever lawyers that we want to hire. We can do any of these things uh, to in order to, you know, to to project us as being such wonderful human beings. And at the same time, we can undermine the people who are who, who are in opposition to us. They always have that capacity to do that. We don't have that capacity to do that. So how do you enter into an equal conversation? It, it will never be an equal uh, conversation because as I said, they have the power, but you you need to have tools. You need to know how to play their game and try to have the power. Okay, to but be then, vocal to your experience. Okay, but then they'll see protest. But then, to... but then they'll see that as violent. Okay, so for us, it's not violent. Like boycotting uh, no. is not a violence. Yeah. But it's look, them who gets to decide what is and isn't violent. Yeah, I mean, look, I had a very highly um, positioned faculty member at Bishop's University um, really seethe in anger with his teeth, uh, you know, grit, shaking his fist at me. When he was telling me that in an email that I sent where I said, you are not listening to the entire faculty over the realities of racism at the university, and I did it in all caps, he told me that that all caps saying you are not listening was violent. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I... So, so like, so, and he's doing this while he's like, really, he's got his teeth clenched and he's waving his fist at me and his face is all red. And I'm like, you think you think that the words you are not listening in all caps is violent and you think that what you're saying to me right now the way you're saying it to me is reasonable and of course he does anything I, that will disturb the white man house will be considered as a violence yes yes and and i i i still want uh, to point out the difference between violence and uh, resistance. I still, in the term of Fanon, since we are mm -hmm. discussing Fanon, and uh, uh, I know, I know people have been uh, opposing Gandhi to Fanon, right? Uh, Gandhi, who will be the proponent of uh, peaceful decolonization, and etc., etc. And at the end, both came to the observation that actually in 100% decolonization situation, 99.99 have to go through resistance. Actually, Fano said, in, and uh, I, I will try to quote him in English, uh, my catharsis proactive revolution can't be called violence. 
when it is for me to survive the oppression that is taking away my life. Yeah, oh, I agree. I, I translated uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. roughly that yeah, no, what he I, said. He said I, mean, I agree with that. My cat because Fano has always oriented his uh, I will say proactive proactive revolution uh in a psychiatrist way, right? Psychologist. He, draws, he drew he drew the the structure, the mental structure of a persecuted mind. And his action is oriented to the persecuted mind as a therapist, right? Yes. Of course, as a too much involved of a therapist, but as a therapist, right? And he refused categorically for the catastrophic step of an oppressed, a colonized man who wants to free himself through proactive revolution to be called violence. And that's exactly, I don't know if I will be uh, sentenced to death uh, after saying what I'm <laughs> going to say, but that's what exactly I see in these little Palestinians, little people who only ask to have the right to live and making themselves feel right in throwing stones <laughs> on tongues that are bombing them, I am, I am having difficulty saying that they are being violent, even though I'm not. And like I told you, before I became the person to kill, I have never been portrayed violent at all, never. No complaints. So it's not exaggerated to say that no, I'm not a violent person, but if my resistance as a catharsis to live takes me outside the process, the regular process, and that's the only way for me to survive, please don't come and say that I'm violent. Please don't. Well, I know I agree. We all agree with you. I think, you know, I'm, I, you said it beautifully, but we are also living in a time where the universities that we are, were, we, we were or are attending or working at um, have squarely put themselves on the side of, uh, of Israel in this, in this war. And Israel is a country that has even said that when prisoners are freed, from Israeli prisons, that when families greet them, if they celebrate in any way, that is an act of violence and you will be arrested. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. anything by the oppressor can become an act of violence when it's done <laughs> by the oppressed. So yes. even an old woman 
celebrating the release of her grandson or granddaughter mm -hmm. if she's celebrating that will be that will be seen as a form of violence and we can't control that in any other way but by saying basically to hell with you yeah right we see we see some people like cornell west done that did that <laughs> at harvard you know but I, i'm sure that cornell west would also say that he had a you know he had something to fall back on but i i suspect that even if he didn't have something to fall back on he'd still say you know to hell with you you know yeah. you, you, i'm you're you're not going to punish me i can't even remember the term that he used he was basically said he was something like he was unpunishable i can't remember mm -hmm. the real term that he used it was better than what i said but like no you're not you're not undisciplinable i can't remember what he said he goes but you're not going to yeah. do that to me right and 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 there's very few people even amongst our own community who are willing to do that so abdullah and christine in in regard to what you're seeing in academia and Fanon's statement that true decolonization is always a violent event do you see any evidence of that keeping in mind that like the idea of violence in the mind of the oppressors can be celebrated mm -hmm. so do you see any of that do you see any of Fanon's statement about true decolonization actually happening in higher education from your experience abdullah and it, it would be violent to be like perceived as a violent action because it would disturb the status quo otherwise okay it's yeah. it's a violent action for them but for the oppressed it's no more than like asking for your rights and it will not be a violent action for them like asking for your rights, asking for what you want, what you believe in, what you see is not a violent event. But if like for for the 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 power block, it will be violent because trying to take part of their power. They are trying to share their position. And for them, why do they have to like uh, give it away like part of the power uh, roxanne you're a spy for uh you know that we can throw into the white community right you you could you're you're a successful spy right sorry yeah yeah okay so <laughs> you you have hung around enough of these like uh people who are part of student unions let's just let's pick on on bishops for a little while because mcgill student union has come out very strong in support of making votes for in favor of just saying you know what ceasefire mm -hmm. what what in, if if you had to guess what university students at a school like a liberal arts school like bishops university are saying to each other about not voting to just say sympathies for the people who have been killed what is their rationalization for why they're not saying anything? Yes. Like why what, what the SRCs um to not make waves, you know. To not make waves, okay. Like I think for from what I remember about the SRC at Bishops is that they're there to have a good time. <laughs> um, <laughs> to not do anything that makes them stand out in any way, to not do anything that makes administration annoyed at them in any way. 
Um, they throw cool parties for themselves. <laughs> they throw cool parties for other students. Like I don't, I just don't think that they see their position as uh, something where they need to be talking about that at all. I think, I think if people ask them, like, why don't you speak out against it? I think some of them might say, well, why is it up to us? Like, why do I need to say anything? What is that going to do? Um, which I think is a fallback for a lot of people when being asked, like, why don't you speak out? It's like, well, I'm just one voice. Why do I have to say anything? Mm. Um, and I think it's also maybe some people have a fear about speaking out because it's a space where you're just not allowed to speak out against anything that isn't the status quo there. I I, I think that they also probably have convinced themselves that what they've done by opposing the Muslim Student Association, um, if that's what they're called, I'm pretty sure that they're probably convincing themselves that what they did was brave. To oppose it? Yes. Oh, <laughs> I guess I'm not that good at spy. I would. That's I, 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 I don't know. You know, <laughs> you know, you know better than I do. But like this like is like we stood up against this. Yeah, this is this is a group of people who if a white male upper middle class heterosexual uh, member <laughs> of the of a student union like that was yeah. wearing a shirt that says this is what a BIPOC feminist ally looks like <laughs> okay, i would yeah. i would be like yeah, oh, yeah I, I can i can imagine someone like that wearing a shirt <laughs> but at the same time i would not think of any of these people as being bipoc allies at all no i'm sure i'm sure the second time that group asked them to do something mm -hmm. i'm sure everyone in the src was thinking they're being really mean to us mm -hmm. like we're being bullied by them like they're being they're not letting they're not letting this go and they're being mean about it you no know? I, yeah and they're that, making us look bad that's what I, that's what i was wondering are they are yeah. they going to get to the point where they're looking at like abdullah said a group of people who are just saying like in effect look if you can't feel sorry for babies being killed right. and you can't feel any kind of sympathy for mm -hmm. me you know being a muslim whether racialized muslims or not well they, they wouldn't think that you should have a connection to it right that, that's also that true too. yeah they should they, <laughs> like they'd they, be like yeah. well it's not you yeah, right? like, like if some if no. somebody if somebody like Abdullah said something, they'd be like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Are you Palestinian? What are you mm -hmm. one group? No, you're not. You're Syrian." Because <laughs> that absolutely would come up. All right, people, yeah. we've reached our time limit. I think there are a lot of great things that came into this um, that we're gonna have to carry on to future conversations. Uh, namely, I think the false decolonization and those from within our group that you know trust in this process. Um, and what their reasons are for trusting, I think, is something that we have to flesh out a little bit. Christine, and, I'm sorry that you didn't have your notes, Christine. I want to apologize you didn't have your notes. No, I'm over it. Thank You're, you, though. Thank wait, you. Wait, are you are you over are you over me or over it? I'm over forgetting my notes. Okay, that's good. Thank you. I I'd like uh, to put the something that may uh, be a very good uh, end to this conversation. Uh, I don't know if you heard about the philosopher uh, Bernard-Henri Lévy, the French philosopher, who uh, wrote a book called Barbarism with a Human Face. And uh, it's a good, a good book to read. And I oppose, I Yes, opposer is beautiful, and he's describing what we've been uh, 
talking about, right? Barbarism with a, a human face to uh, hum, true human being painted as barbarism. I think okay, well, you should put that. You should put that on our reading list. It's definitely something that we should uh, we should talk about. Put it on the reading list so that we can all get that book. Abdullah, as we say goodbye, I know that uh, you're definitely going to want to talk a little bit more about subjectivity and Edward Said. I know that Christine just finished reading his autobiography, or she just picked it up. I know you're a fan of the Edward Said autobiography as well. I'm sure that there's something that we should discuss in that. Uh, Christine. Interesting ideas? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, that's good enough for me. Thank you very much, everyone. And Thank we'll you. see you next episode. And see you. Yes, take care. Yeah. <laughs>